0: This week on Off the Crossbar, the Saskatchewan Rush are number one out west. They'll look to secure the number one seed overall this weekend. The Georgia Swarm are the hottest team in the league with three straight wins. Robert Church is a huge fan of Eric Church. The Toronto Rock are officially out. The Vancouver Stealth are still alive. And I am making a comeback. All this week on Off the Crossbar. Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on NLL Radio. My name is Teddy Jenner. Thank you for stopping by. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can. You can email me at jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Love to hear from you. Enjoy hearing from everybody. And it is a crazy time in the National Lacrosse League. There are just two weeks left. And four teams are battling for just two spots. In case you missed some of the things that happened this weekend, the Toronto Rock went into their last home game of the year against their arch rival, the Buffalo Bandits, and went out on a high note and put on quite a performance in front of their home fans when they knocked off Buffalo 12-9. And it was... um, Highs and lows for the Toronto Rock. There haven't been too many highs this year for them, but winning their last home game was very important for this franchise moving forward. Um, It gives them hope. It gives them promise and, you know, doesn't leave the fans with a bit of a sour taste in their mouth when they left the ACC. Nick Rose was fantastic once again. Rob Hellyer is knocking on the door for a 100-point season to become the only I believe the fifth player in Rock history to do so. And they just got a great team effort from front to back. The bad news was just like this rest of the year has gone, an injury sort of took precedence. And unfortunately, Brock Sorensen has had surgery, and all intents and purposes, it is a knee injury, and he was placed on second-level IR, and he's done for the year. And it's just the tally rises. And I think this is four or five ACL surgeries the Rock have had and about five or seven season-ending injuries that they've had. And one, it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. But two, it's just another case of a National Lacrosse League player losing time playing because of a knee injury because of an injury caused playing on turf. This is a discussion to be had on a completely another day. However, just look over the years at the amount of guys who have had their seasons cut short because of knee injuries. Go around the league, look at the turfs that these guys are playing on, and not just the the fabric. I, I, The fabric isn't the issue. The issue is the turfs don't fit properly. You have turf rolled up along the edges. You have speed bumps in the middle of the floor. You have sponsor signs that are empty and are just big bumps. You have, in some rinks, used to have, you know, four-foot gaps between the edge of the board and the turf. Some rinks put rubber padding down or wood pallets down on top of the ice, some places just put the turf over top of the ice. Like there's no conformity. Um, and I know, you know, all rinks are different size, but there's got to be a way for this league, if they're going to continue to play on turf, to find a turf that doesn't move. I don't know if that means going to sections instead of big, large rolls. I don't know if it's finding places where you can have turf in all year. That is a huge logistical issue, but something needs to be done. And I wish everybody in the Toronto Rock organization, um, from Damon Edwards to Scott Johnson to Patty Merrill, Brock Sorensen, Mark Farthing, all these guys, uh, speedy recoveries, get back soon, but take your time. Um, Don't rush back because the worst thing you can do is come back too soon. So hopefully all those guys have successful off seasons, and when 2017 rolls around, they are all back. They are all healthy, and the Rock can continue to be a force in this league because this year was just a tough, tough year for everybody in the Rock organization. There was another team that was battling for their playoff lives this weekend, and that was the Vancouver Stealth, and. You can go on to um, Inside the Cross and read my postgame article about the game and my thoughts about everything that happened, especially, you know, revolving around Rory Smith. But when a team is desperate and a team needs to win, that's the effort that they can put out. Now, the question is, why couldn't that effort have been all year? Where has that been? Sure, guys have been in and out of the lineup, and there's injuries issues. And Tyler Richards wasn't around for much of the year, for the first part of the year, and Jamie Batley only came in in the last seven games. But for the most part, the bodies were there, and it's just taken Jamie Batley um, a little while to get this team going. Maybe they needed their backs up against the wall.
1: Well, now we believe in ourselves, right? It's hard to believe in yourselves when you're losing, right? I come in as a coach and try to do different things and, you know, change some culture, change some strategies and those kind of things. And then you lose. And sometimes it's hard to believe. So this, you know, makes them believers, hopefully, that we're in it together, that we've changed our systems. And, and you know, hopefully we can continue on with that. I mean, you know, now they believe they can win. And, uh, you know, the organization is kind of in a winning mode
0: now rather than a losing mode. That was Vancouver Stealth head coach Jamie Batley. Um, after their game against Calgary, just talking about trying to find that winning mentality. And I talked about maybe they, you know, needed their backs against the wall and it would take some time for this group to come together under Batley. Well, maybe one other thing was needed. Maybe they needed Rory Smith. Now, I still stand pat and firm that I don't believe Rory Smith should be playing. And... I haven't been able to speak with Rory. He kind of keeps to himself. He's not one to publicly speak out about his issues or speak in general. It's never been his MO, and I respect that. Um, but when I talked to players, they were worried. Uh, when I talked to people on the Cal- within the Calgary organization, they were worried. Uh, and then when I talked to the Vancouver Stealth you know, upper management, their response was, he's been cleared by all of our doctors. He's been cleared by an independent neurologist. He's gone through all of the National Lacrosse League protocol and he wants to play. And boy did he play. And I mean I mentioned this on Twitter and I mentioned this in my article. Rory Smith only knows one speed and that is crushing speed. It's the way he's always played. He's Vigilant in his aggressiveness, he's violent in his determination, and he is just a mean, mean man, and he is an imposing presence on the floor. He was in Curtis Dixon's shorts all game long. He shattered him. He followed him everywhere that he could. He was in his face every chance that he could get to try to put Superman off his game. And it worked. Dixon had four assists in the first half. Three of those were secondary assists on the first three goals of the game. And then he got a late goal in the third quarter and then a short-headed marker in the fourth. So, for all of my worry about Rory, what he brings is an, an incredible intangible that I don't think a lot of people really understand. Because when he is on the floor, it's like there's a bear out there. Because you always have to be aware of where he is. Does that make sense? Aware of where? Yeah. Aware of where. You always have to be aware of where Rory is on the floor because if you go running across the top with your head down or you're not paying attention, he will slide and he will slide with a purpose, and you will feel it for a month. Your wrists will feel it. Your teeth will feel it. And trust me, every part of your body will know that you played a game against Rory Smith if you're not paying attention. And it took Vancouver a little while to adjust to having Rory in the lineup because he is so aggressive. And, and I don't mean always aggressive in a physical nature but just the way he plays and if you're if you're on offense and you don't get Rory Smith moving his feet and out of the middle of the floor where he can just roam then you're not exactly helping out your teammates because if he's checking you and you're standing still or not cutting or don't have the ball he he, he could care less about you And he'll turn his head, and he'll wait, and he'll wait, and he'll wait. And then when he sees his his chance, he will leave, he will run, and boom. And he does it often. And the tough part about watching Rory play the way that he plays is how he hits. He often, you know, puts his head down, tucks it into his shoulder, and leads with that shoulder and head. You know, it's not too often that Rory throws a dangerous high hit. He's thrown a couple in his day. I've thrown a couple in my day. We all have. But Rory's not trying to end anybody's career with a dangerous high hit. He's just doing whatever it takes to win and throwing these massively big body checks. And unfortunately... While he's trying to, you know, dislodge an opponent from the ball, he can also do some damage to himself. So I'm glad that nothing happened to Rory, uh, and he played an incredible game. And because of it, Vancouver played at a different level than we've seen them play all year. I still don't think he should be playing. But when he is on the floor, he is a difference maker. And like I said, it took Vancouver a little while in that first quarter to get to speed of with him on the floor. But once they did, they really settled in and they played a fantastic defensive game. Tyler Richards was phenomenal once again. He and Mike Poolin went back and forth all night long making incredible save after incredible save. And Vancouver got production um, from their back end. Uh, Cliff Smith had a pair of goals. Ian Hawksby had a goal late. Um, Justin Salt was running the floor well. He took a huge hit from Brandon Goodwin early in the fourth quarter that re- that had Goodwin ejected from the game. And it'll be interesting to see how the National Lacrosse League reviews this hit. Because on the floor, it was called uh, dangerous contact to the head major, and Goodwin was ejected from the game for a game misconduct. Now, I've talked to some people and they feel that the hit from Goodwin on Salt was very similar to the hit of Bouquet on Carson Leung. I don't really agree with that because Leung was looking for a ball over his shoulder and had no idea the hit was coming. Now, I'm not saying Salt did. However, Salt was fishing for a loose ball, head down, He had lost his balance because he took a shove from behind from Dan McRae. And Brandon Goodwin came in from about... He was about a good 15, 20 feet away from Justin Salt when he started his run. From the angles that I saw, it didn't look like it was a, a stick to the head. It looked like shoulder to body. But the reason it was so, as Jake Elliott said, a violent collision was because that Salt had lost his balance and was falling forward. That's what made it so violent. If Justin Salt is upright and in possession, that's just a big body hit. So it'll be interesting to see what Brian Lemon and the National Lacrosse League do with this because I don't think it was a malicious hit. It was a big hit, but I don't see it being any worse than the hit Alex Bouquet put on Justin Salt. I think Bouquet's hit was even worse because of the circumstances of Bouquet launching himself or running from his crease and hitting an unsuspecting Carson Leon. So we'll have to wait and see. Um it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, if Calgary makes a point of appealing. But we we just don't know because of, you know, the National Lacrosse League called Alex Bouquet's hit legal. And, that, and there was no call. Yet in this game, there was a call. They basically lose Goodwin for the game and the in-home for five minutes when the hits were very similar. So we'll have to wait and see. We're going to talk about the Georgia Swarm a little bit later. They've won three straight. However, the Saskatchewan Rush locked up first place in the West this weekend with two very, very convincing wins over the Colorado Mammoth. 11-5 on Friday night in Colorado, and then the next night in the tune, Saskatchewan beats the Mammoth 11-8. So two wins means they get first in the West. They will host a playoff game on May 21st. It will be the second game of the West Final. And they even have a chance to get all the way to first overall, and they can do that this weekend but the crazy part of that game or that weekend set was the fact that there was a massive snowstorm blowing through Denver on Friday, or they were supposed to be, and there was some snow, and there was some f- fear that the teams weren't going to be able to get out in time the next day so that they could play the game in Saskatchewan on Saturday. So, Lee Genier, the president of the Saskatchewan Rush, made a few phone calls to some of his connections that he has. And lo and behold, there was a charter jet waiting in Denver for both teams to get on board and fly to Saskatoon that night. Like, that's big league. I've seen Kurt Stiers uh, rent jets for his team. That's ridiculous. But to see Genier go out on a limb and and call his contacts and get a private jet, sorry, a charter, and have both teams on the plane was just above and beyond the call of duty, and he was just ensuring that his fans got to see uh, an incredible across game, and they just and they did. Uh, there was fifteen plus thousand SAS again, and it has become one of the places to not only uh, watch a game but to play a game. And the Saskatchewan Rush are a buzz around town in Saskatoon. And I talked to Mike Board Saturday night at the LEC before the Calgary-Vancouver game, and we were talking about everything that's going on in Saskatoon and, and, the, and the success that Bruce and that organization are having. And he said that when Calgary went to Saskatoon the other week, he flew in a little bit later than the team, so you know he, he wasn't uh, walking around with guys with lacrosse sticks or bags or anything like that, and he got in a cab by himself, and the cab driver didn't know who he was from Adam. And without prompting the guy, the cabbie went off on the success of the rush and how they're the biggest talk in the entire city. It's just incredible of what that group has done in a little bit of time. And one of the big things will be to see the turnover for 2017. I can already guess that season tickets for next year are being sold and they're becoming a hot commodity. And hot winter nights is a real thing. One of the guys who gets to experience that week in and week out, well, home weekends and home week out, is Robert Church, the former WLA MVP and BC Junior A Lacrosse League MVP, Joins us here on the Off the Crossbar podcast from his home in Port Moody, B.C. Churchy, how are you, my man?
2: I'm doing well. How are you, Teddy?
1: I'm fantastic. Uh, we are enjoying some absolutely incredible weather out here in B.C. How's it over there in the Moody?
2: It's awesome. I haven't got too much time today to enjoy the weather outside, but definitely planning on enjoying it while it lasts.
1: Uh, do you get out and do some golfing, or what's uh, what's the sunshine activity for you?
2: Yeah, golf is definitely my go-to outdoor game.
1: So I try Are that. you any Are you any good?
2: Uh I guess some days I, I can either be good or I can be terrible. It just depends yeah. on the day.
1: I hear you. Just like uh, guys. Yeah, just like most guys. Um, what was it like growing up uh, in the Coquitlam minor system and going through those years uh, of just seeing how good the talent was and now looking back at seeing all those guys that are now in the national lacrosse?
2: Yeah, it is pretty crazy to think of all the guys that I grew up in and even grew up watching a couple years ahead of me, how how many guys have made it in St. L. and just the little group of guys that I played with, with Macintosh and Cornwall, uh, you know those guys making it. Dinsdale, uh, there's there's guys everywhere. It's, it's been awesome. I think it's a testament to how good the Co-Cola Minor coaching is growing up and they prepare us for the next level. Uh,
1: you were um, an aged up junior or an aged up intermediate in 2009. You set the league on fire with uh, 109 points or 107 points in that year. You were the first rookie since Kevin Alexander to lead the league in scoring, your MVP and rookie of the year. Uh, what do you remember from sort of that first year in 2009 and just the success that you had?
2: Yeah, that year was pretty awesome. It was, it was probably my coming-out year for lacrosse, where mm-hmm. I had some success in intermediate, but nothing at that high of a level. And then, you know, coming up to junior, I got I was lucky enough with Coach Perot there. I think it was his first or second year as well, where, you know, he gave me the the range to, to do what I wanted on offense. And, you know, I got mm-hmm. to step in right away and be the, the go-to guy, which really helped me growing up and gain some confidence for the next years coming up. What
1: was the biggest uh, challenge for you? Because it, as Ontario fans may not know, or some do, we don't have five years of junior like they do out east. So as an intermediate, what was the biggest challenge for you to go up and play junior?
2: Probably just the size and getting mm-hmm. over the intimidation factor, you know. Intermediate guys, you still the same guys you played all growing up in Midget, but when you make that jump up to Junior, you're seeing all these guys that you've watched growing up when you were in Midget, and you know you just you see how big they are and how strong they yeah. are, and it's just getting that that mental part of the game where you know you deserve to be out here, and there's nothing that you, that you can do that you can't, and you're gonna be just fine.
1: Did, did that extra year? Do you think do you think that helped your maturity level as a person and as a lacrosse player?
2: That extra year of Junior. Yeah, I think so for sure. I think you see with the Ontario guys how you know the good ones they play five and Mm -hmm. for the most part they all play four so I think it definitely helps with getting that extra year before you go into the WLA and then move on to the NLL.
1: Uh, You eventually would go to Drexel and you're you're a dragon out there college life is completely different than than anything guys will experience back home would you you recommend the college route for guys when you talk to them?
2: Definitely I think if you are going to go and play lacrosse you know it's for those four years, it's the highest level of lacrosse you can be able to play for the most part unless you can enter the NL early, so it's definitely worth it. And just the, the growing, up, growing up experience, being away from home and being independent for those four years was, was a great experience for me.
1: And what's Drexel like?
2: It's awesome. I had a blast. Uh, yeah. I had like life made lifelong friends living with them, uh, my class and the guys younger. And just the, the city atmosphere, if you've never been to... Drexler, Philadelphia, it's literally right downtown Philadelphia, so yeah. it's a pretty awesome uh, atmosphere at, at that school.
1: Do you still follow them and uh, their successes year in and year out?
2: Not as much this year, but uh, just because this is pretty much the, the last group of guys that I would have played with as a senior, yeah. so yeah. i got got buddies like Cole Schaefer still playing, so I follow them a bit this year, but not as much as I had in the past with when like Ben McIntosh was still there.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed a lot with, with the rookies that are coming into the National Lacrosse League now um, is that they've put, done four years in college, and that allows them to play you know, one, maybe two years of senior ball and get that experience under their belt. How much did that prepare you for the National Lacrosse League?
2: Yeah, I think that was a massive part of being ready for the NL was that year of WLA, because those guys you're playing are, are just as big and fast as you're going to be trying to prepare mm-hmm. for, for the NL season in. You see it translating to the success of guys like Jesse King this year and Randy Statts, and how awesome Ben was last year for us. Him having two years at WLA was probably a huge boost for him and it allows you to have instant success in the league. Uh,
1: The Burnaby Lakers have been kind of on the precipice of becoming a top-ranked team. Are you looking forward to a summer season? I know your focus is on uh, the National Lacrosse League and the rush right now, but it's always fun to come back home and, and play some of the balls.
2: Yeah, coming home and playing summer is awesome, you know. It's just another group of great guys that you get to spend the summer with, and they make a lot of memories. But, uh, yeah, Burnaby, we've we've been there the last couple of years. Last year, a bit off. We didn't make the playoffs. But I think with guys like Matt Beers coming back and, you know, picking up Eli McLaughlin and Josh Burnett, that's going to be a, a big yeah. move. And hopefully we can make a little noise in the West.
1: Well, you're making some noise uh, in the prairies right now with the rush. Uh, did you any of you guys ever expect the rush to take off the way that it did in Saskatoon?
2: Not even close. When we had our uh, preseason conference call with Bruce Urban and Lee Jennye, I remember they told us they're like, "Yeah, we're like we're expecting to have sellouts and everyone just group chat." Well, like, <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. And then now that actually happens, we're we're so happy the move happened, and you know it's it's unbelievable playing in Saskatchewan.
1: And the fans are 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 getting more knowledgeable. Um, but they're enjoying themselves from from opening day until now. What do you think has been the the best part about that fan base in the early days?
2: Yeah, I think that they may not be the most knowledgeable, but they just love the action and you know they love the DJ is one of their favorite mm. parts. And they got lucky <laughs> enough that the first couple games in Saskatchewan I think are some of the most intense regular season lacrosse games I've ever. Yeah, been. yeah. Vancouver and a couple fights and stuff like that. And then Colorado was a back-to-back, back. and then Buffalo, it was a 2019, so they've mm-hmm. got some awesome games, and, you know, it's it's definitely lucky for them, too, that they pick up a, a defending champion team and don't have to go through the growing pains like they did in Edmonton those, all those years.
1: Uh, you mentioned the championship from last year. It was an incredible run for you guys, and it was just nice to see that that franchise finally get over the hump after years of sort of struggling in Edmonton, but was it kind of bittersweet knowing that you guys were probably going to leave?
2: Uh we honestly didn't know pretty much until I think probably a week before that championship game in Edmonton that there's even yeah. a potential of moving. So we got the word and you know we wanted to do our do it for our fans and get that win and we did and it. it was it was an awesome experience for everyone, and we'll we'll never forget.
1: You, do you wear your ring much or is it something that just sits on the mantle?
2: It just sits on the mantle. It's <laughs> enormous. I'm sure you've seen it. It's yeah. not yeah. something you can wear on public unless you're <laughs> trying to be noticed.
1: Um, so, so the rusher uh, coming off a massive weekend uh, against the Mammoth this weekend. How important was it to win Game One of that series in Colorado?
2: Yeah, uh, from the beginning of the season, our goal has been to to get that that West first place spot because anything can happen in that in that one game mm-hmm. that one game playoff, especially against two powerful teams with offensive players like Curtis Dixon, Adam Jones, who you never know how many goals they're going to score in a game. So, getting that bye was big because. We don't think many teams can beat us in a, a best of whatever you want to call it two in a mini game or a mm-hmm. best of three. So that was massive. But yeah, the game one on Friday was big because it kind of takes the pressure off a little for Saturday, knowing that you at least got the split mm-hmm. that the you're not going to be battling from the bottom up instead of you know getting that game two win and then that was massive.
1: What was the change in the fourth quarter because it was five four going into that final frame and, and then you guys just found an extra gear.
2: I don't think we really changed anything is, is probably what our successful is thing is. We just keep running our offense and defense keeps doing their thing. And we know eventually that the ball is going to go the back to the net and they're going to tire out. So that's just mainly our thing is just keeping our game plan and putting together 60 minutes, which we have had a little bit of trouble this season doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had some, uh, some good games and you've only been held to one point once this year, but how would you assess your play in 2016?
2: Uh, I think it's been, uh, it's been well, I played well. It's uh you know, our offense is such a thing by committee where you know, there's gonna be games where I go off for eight gate points mm-hmm. and there's gonna be games where I go off for one, but you know, there's gonna be other guys that are gonna put up big numbers and Absolutely. You know, I think that's why it allows us to have so much success where we're not strictly based off one guy doing all of yeah. our, our point production.
1: That's a pretty fun offensive group to be a part of, isn't it?
2: It's awesome. <laughs> if you're open you're you're probably gonna get it and Yeah. You know, you don't get too upset when you're not because you know that they're they know they missed you and they're apologizing, so yeah, everyone's got so much skill, and everyone's so unselfish and just buys in so well that it makes it going to the rink a lot of fun.
1: There's four guys, five guys on your team that are that are former Coquitlam Madnax from that 2010 team. Uh, that helps uh, a bond build, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, definitely. Because uh, you know, when as soon as I went in there, I had an instant chemistry on offense with Mark and and Riley Lowen, so mm-hmm. that helped. And then we had a guy like Benny who, you know, I had played with pretty much my whole life, and then. Mark and him had a lot of chemistry in junior, so that helped. But, yeah, just coming in, and then we get a lot of guys from either Coquitlam or Whitby, and we always, we always go back <laughs> yeah. that, and yeah. a couple of mid cops get brought up, but pretty <laughs> friendly, pretty friendly chit-chat.
1: Is there a more underrated guy in the NLL than Jeff Cornwall?
2: Uh, he does so much. I guess right? I don't really see him as underrated just because I see him as such an incredible player, just being able to grow, with, grow up playing with him my whole life. I've, mm-hmm what he can do so yeah I don't really see
1: him as underrated just yeah and I don't mean underrated people don't know about him but just he kind of gets lost in the shuffle when you talk about you know Dilks and, and Corbeil and Rubish and the other defenders on your team but he like you said he just does so many of the little things and the guy is an absolute freak of an athlete
2: yeah he is Uh all those guys I think they'd all say how good each other are and that mm-hmm. like you would be hearing about Rubish and Dilks and all them if Jeff and you know, those guys weren't doing their thing on that other side. So, Absolutely. you know, they, they'd all complement each other extremely well. Uh,
1: big game for you guys this weekend as you come out west to the Langley Events Center to take on the Vancouver Stealth, who are in a bit of a desperation mode. But it's always a special occasion when guys get to play in their hometown. Are you looking forward to another game out here in BC?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is the first year since I've been in the league that we get two games out west. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people who didn't get to get the first one, they're going to definitely come out and catch the second one. And, you know, it's a lot of fun playing in Vancouver with family and friends and yeah, my buddy's actually got a twenty four person box for this game, so oh, awesome. I think they're playing on getting pretty rowdy. <laughs> um,
1: you list your favorite artist as Eric Church. Any relation?
2: No, there isn't, but <laughs> just uh, people like even interviews, people calling me, they're always they always mistake me for Eric at the end which is pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. I do you just issues. let
1: do you do you let it slide or do you correct him at the end? I never correct them. <laughs> It later yeah uh what's what of the three what's your favorite mighty Ducks trilogy
2: the second one for sure
1: oh really you're a number two guy eh?
2: yeah i, I think so i saw your tweet so i started thinking about it bit. <laughs> but i think two, just you know the whole gunner stall team usa thing mm, yeah the team absolutely. Iceland battle that's that one brings up a lot of memories from childhood
1: uh if you were a, if you had to change one rule in the nll what would it be
2: hmm i don't know that's a tough one i've never really thought about that I actually don't know. I don't really, not a huge fan of the the too many men call being an instant penalty, but I can right. see why. When you know, in the WLA, you really take your <laughs> yeah, you get you take your head start a lot more than this league, knowing it's just Absolutely. A, just a turnover. Uh,
1: the difference between the WLA and NLL is night and day nowadays, isn't it? Like it's getting to be a, a big gap in the difference.
2: Mm-hmm. There's just go ahead. Yeah, just the you know we're losing a lot of guys out east whether it's you know the guy who's probably the best player in the league Curtis Dixon leaves that's a just Mm -hmm. right there a big drop off in talent
1: yeah have you ever thought about playing back east or are you uh, a west coast guy through and through Uh,
2: I've never thought about it never really had an opportunity or even hadn't even talked to me about it but yeah never say never but for now I'm pretty focused on trying to help Burnaby get over that hump
1: and more focused on getting the rush to uh, another championship game. Churchy, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you, man. Uh, It's great to see you having success in the National crossing. It's only your third year, and and you're one of the top players in the game. So keep up the good work, and uh, we'll see you this weekend in Vancouver.
2: Yeah, thanks a lot, Teddy. I appreciate it.
0: There is Robert Church of the Saskatchewan rush as they get set to play the Vancouver Stealth this weekend at the Langley Event Center. Uh, In a must-win game for the Stealth, as mentioned, uh, they are basically in do-or-die mode right now. Uh, If they lose, they're out. If they win, they got to keep winning. And they're going to need some help from Calgary as well. So we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, But the role that the Rush are on currently, they've won eight of their last nine games, and the loss was a 14-13 thriller to the New England Black Wolves. And as mentioned, the Rush have secured first place in the West, and they can secure first place overall with a win over Vancouver this weekend and a loss by the Buffalo Bandits as well. So the one thing the Rush didn't have last year on their championship run was home field throughout. That belonged to the Toronto Rock, but it did allow the Rush to win on home soil. So maybe it's a good thing Maybe it's a bad thing, but as you heard Robert Church said, you do not want to go into that one and done divisional semifinal game because anything can happen. And then once you get to the divisional final, it's two and a best out of two and a third as it's two games and if it's tied, then it's the mini game. So you know you don't want to be in that, game because anything can happen and if you look at Calgary and their matchup with Colorado which, you know, not to count out the Vancouver Stealth because that would be disrespectful but I really don't think it'll happen but Calgary is 6-0 against Colorado in the playoffs and it looks like they're going to play each other again it'll be in Colorado whether it's Vancouver or Calgary, but that game will be in Colorado. And if it is Calgary, oh boy, that's going to be a beauty. The other team that is trying to get third place in the National Lacrosse League, well, there's two technically. But the team that's in third right now in the East, surprise, surprise, it's the Georgia Swarm. And a lot of that has to do With the three games that they've just won in a row. We talked a little bit about it earlier. But they've beaten Colorado by seven, New England by seven, and Rochester by six to leap the Nighthawks and get into third place with two games remaining in their schedule. They'll play New England this weekend, and then next weekend they'll host the Vancouver Stealth in their final home game of the year. This team has sort of come out of nowhere. And they are maturing. They are becoming more seasoned as the year goes on. And Eddie Como continues to revolutionize this club. And I know a lot of people will vote for Glenn Clark and company in New England, rightfully so. But if Eddie Como can get this group into the playoffs, and who knows do what? He's got to get some consideration. Absolutely he does. Because this is a team that a few weeks ago was you know, three games out of a playoff spot. And in three weeks, they've become the team in the playoffs. And it starts with Brody McDonald, who's really settled himself down in the Georgia net. He's not putting up world-beating numbers. But they are keeping teams to that 10 to 12 range, 9 to 12 range, that a lot of defensive coaches will say, if we can limit teams to 12, we should be able to win. And that's what they're doing. And like I said, it starts from Brody, and it goes through that defense that's getting better and better. It runs through the Captain Jordan McIntosh in transition, and then it ends with the group up front that is continually providing by committee. And the one guy that is doing the most damage is the guy that had 16 points this weekend alone. 16 points alone by himself that's Randy Stats. As we near the end of the National Lacrosse League season here for 2016, obviously a lot of the talk is about the upcoming awards and who's going to win what. And the discussion rages on. Well, one discussion that has been very heated, especially in the last few weeks, has been Rookie of the Year. And Randy Stats has really supplanted himself as the guy. A lot of people were looking at the body of work that Jesse King had done and had him as a favorite. A lot of people were looking at what Graham Hossack has, has done in Rochester and have him up there along with Westberg. But Randy Stats is putting on an absolute clinic in 2016, and he is really making a case for himself to be the rookie of the year. Depending on whether you look at the National Lacrosse League Stats Pack or you go by point streak, uh, Randy Stats is either six or seven points away from tying Reese Dutch's rookie scoring record that he set back in 2009 when he was with San Jose. Stats put up an incredible weekend. He had 16 points this weekend for the Swarm in their two big wins over New England and Rochester. And he's distanced himself from Bergen King, and he's distanced himself from Graham Hossack. And I really believe that what Stotts has done in this entire year has just been beyond words. When you look at his stats, he is yet to be held pointless. He's only been held without a goal twice all year. In his last four games where the Swarm have gone 3-1, and one, He's put up 33 points. 33 points in four games for rookie this late in the season is absolutely incredible. And Randy Stats has really stepped his game up when the Swarm have needed him. They went through a bit of a lull this year, but they've really started to find their groove and Eddie Como has them playing at an incredible level. But you don't win three straight games over Colorado New England and Rochester without somebody stepping up big. And Randy Stotts has done that, and for that reason, he is the man. the man. Stotts has been the man for the Georgia Swarm in the last few weeks. But again, they're prov- they're producing by committee, and it's not just stats; it's stats. And Matisse and Palace and Jackson and King and the Thompson's but probably the goal of the weekend
1: another good stop by McDonald McDonald. with another big save Joe White picks up the rebound and he's working his way around everybody including his own teammates to try his work what a fantastic move by Joe White right there that is persistence still got it shot score Joe White said I don't need anybody I don't need anybody. I'm doing this one myself. Had to fight off defenders. Bumped into his own man. Cut through the defense. Look at this move. Oh, the swim. That's beautiful. And then another one for good measure around Evans. Perfect bounce shot. That
2: is a thing of beauty.
0: Yeah, that's right. That Joel White. The Joel White that's been traded three times in the National Lacrosse League. Once in a trade that involved Dan Paul Dawson and Paul Rabel. And once for Andrew Suter, and a captain-for-captain deadline deal last year. Now, Joel White can kind of go underrated and under the radar, but for an American guy who's honed his craft indoors, he is really starting to come into his own. He's an absolute speedster out of the back end, and he just has a natural athletic ability ability that will allow him to do things like he did on that goal. And I've said this before. It's really hard for an American lacrosse player to become a pure goal scorer. But it's not too often you get a guy that is just a natural offensive guy. And so for a lot of Americans, where they become essentially valuable is in the D transition game. And I think... There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I've always said that you have to use a player's athletic ability to his best, to your best advantage. Sure, the guy may be an incredible goal scorer, but he may not fit into your system. But you can't afford not to have his athletic ability on the floor, so you turn him into a D guy or a tranny guy. That's how Dane Smith got his start in the National Cross League. That's why Chad Tutton is playing in a transition role. You have to take these guys who are pure athletes and 90% of the Americans that are coming out of the NCAA ranks are pure athletes with really good sticks. But they don't understand the indoor game quite well enough. So if you put them in the back end, run them in the transition game, you're going to develop guys a lot quicker. And Joel White is one of those examples. Jay Bear was probably my favorite. You know, Paul Rabel is another example. Sure, he, he kind of lost some steam once he got away from playing underneath uh, Chris Hall. But look what those guys did when they were taught the game properly and in a system that worked for them. So kudos to Joel White for uh, not only sticking with the indoor game And proving that Americans can thrive in this sport. Or this version. But also for being just a badass. Sports center top 10 guy. And, you know, he was okay giving up the captaincy when he was traded. He's just a guy that loves to play the game. And... I talked about his Sports Center goal. There was a couple other goals that were on Sports Center this week, and I have to apologize uh, to Culpa Mania, uh, Chad Culp, the culprit. There's probably some other nicknames that I could probably think of off the top of my head, but those are my two favorites: the culprit and Culpa Mania, because Culpa Mania is just—it's just too good. Um, he scored a fantastic backhand goal that I think made it to number two. I'm not quite sure, but might have been to number two on the Sports Center top plays of the weekend. But, you know, it's not always John Grant. By the way, John Grant, sick goal. Let me say that again sick goal. Um, I, I didn't really touch much on um, the Mammoth and their efforts this weekend and two losing causes. Quick note Chad Culp, great goal. 19s for life, buddy. 19s for life. Um, John Grant played because Adam Jones couldn't play. We all know Jones is a teacher back in Owen Sound. Friday games are really tough for the guy, especially ones where he's got to travel a long way. So he didn't play Friday. Junior did. And I made note of it. I commented on it. Junior just didn't look like the junior we had seen, even Three weeks ago when he was playing and then he missed a couple weeks. And he looks like he's dealing with a nagging a nagging injury or something's hindering him because he wasn't the same old junior. He wasn't moving as fluidly. He looked I don't mean to make this sound rude, but he looked his age. Um and when I talked to him the next day, I asked him if he was if he had made the flight to Saskatoon, he was like, nope, I I'm old. I can't do it. And, you know, the game is catching up to John Grant Jr. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because when he does get into games, you get performances like you see from him the other night. Like, he wasn't the junior of 10 years ago. Obviously. But the junior that we're seeing now is a more complete junior. And a more competitive junior in some instances, because we're seeing him sprint off the floor. Like, look at the energy that he showed after he scored that around-the-world goal. You know, the Tommy twist from, you know, his strong side that somehow got through Aaron Bolt. Well, it got through because it's John Grant Jr. But his reaction after he scored was, yes, let's go, hurry up, let's get off the floor and let's go get another one. That compete level is something we haven't seen from John Grant in a long time. Like, the fire's always been there. And his passion for the game has always been there. But just the desire and the hustle and the work ethic, even though he was hurting, to bust his ass off the floor, speaks volumes about John Grant Jr. And it's great to see him still competing. I just don't know how much longer that's going to be for. Jamie Shuchuk was between the benches of the Colorado-Saskatchewan game Friday night, and he made a great comment when um, Connor McGehee and Andy Lindhall asked him mid-game, he's like, have you ever thought about taking that shot, or have you ever taken that shot during a game? And, and Shuchuk said adamantly, you know what, I've taken that shot before. I don't always do it because I know I'm not very good. And then he said, he, he emphasized the point, and he said, you don't take that shot in a game Unless you're John Grant Jr. Because if you do, and you miss, you are going to hear it from your coach for the rest of the game. That's why guys don't throw it. That's why guys don't throw that shot. Because, one, nobody's John Grant Jr. And two, if you miss, you look like a complete jackass, and you just Hollywooded your way to a turnover, and you get back to that bench, and you... You don't look your coach in the eye. <laughs> you just, you you sprint your ass off the floor because if you lollygag and dog it, it's even worse. So you sprint your ass off of the floor and you just return to your spot in the lineup on the bench. Don't look at your coach. Just get back in line. Because if you make contact with your coach, it's like Medusa, like stone cold. That's not a look you ever want to see from your coach. Because it's he just tried to be bigger than the moment, bigger than the team by throwing that shot. And it caused a turnover. He could have just pulled it out or shot like a normal person would. But it's junior being junior, man. And I will never tell John Grant Jr. to not take a shot like that because he's got a higher shooting percentage like that than I think I did overhand, so. One last thing before we get you out of here: It is my yearly unretirement, and it's not a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. But it's a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. But it's not a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. But it is a comeback. Uh, this Friday night, it is the annual Victoria Shamrocks alumni game, also known and more respectfully known as the John Crowther Memorial Game. For those that don't know who John Crowther was, um, he was probably, I never really got to see him play, I was too young. Uh, I, I don't really remember him at all in my younger days. But at the time when he was murdered at the age of 22 in 1984, John Crowther was the heir apparent to the throne of Victoria Greats held by a guy by the name of Kevin Alexander. Crowther was the next one. The one between Kevin Alexander and the Gate Brothers. But unfortunately, he was taken from us far too soon. And so, it is an incredible honor for us alumni to not only play in this game, but for the Victoria Lacrosse community to remember John Crowther. And it is an incredibly emotional game, but it's such a fun night. All the proceeds that the alumni raise go towards the Victoria Shamrocks Alumni Foundation, um, and through that foundation we sponsor player jerseys for the junior, senior, and intermediate Adnax. Uh, we have a golf tournament. We have a Chris Hall Scholarship Fund, which some of the money goes towards too. So if you're listening to this and you are in Victoria Friday night, uh, I highly encourage you to come out to the Q Center, 7 o'clock, and, and just watch. It's going to be crazy. Like, I'm playing. It can't be that good. My brother's playing. Some guy named Lewis Ratcliffe's probably going to suit up. But the most important part is, is that we continue to honor the legacy of John. And through this The, you know, through the alumni and through this game, we really hope we get a chance to do that. Um, it will, we'll play a full three periods. I'm really hoping it's stop time. We'll take on a midget team, uh, the Victoria Shamrocks intermediate team, as well as the Victoria Shamrocks junior team. And it's just going to be an all round fun night. So, um, once a year, once a year. I go down to the storage locker and I grab my gear and I dust off the cobwebs and I bring out the old number 19 and it's going to be an absolutely fun night. There's going to be some great alumni there playing in the game from, you know, my decade or my generation to years past playing. There'll be more and more um, alumni honored. I believe the 83 Man Cup team is being honored and that was the last Man Cup team that John played on, so... Like I said, if you can get there, get there. If not, um, say Levy. That's about it. Uh, there is a myriad of games on the National Lacrosse League schedule this weekend. Four, to be exact, they are all on Saturday Georgia at New England, uh, Buffalo at Rochester, Toronto at Colorado, and Saskatchewan at Vancouver. It is coming down to the wire, folks. I hope you are ready for a frantic finish in the National Lacrosse League. Thanks to Robert Church for stopping by and giving us some time today. And thank you for taking some time out of your day to listen to me right now. This has been Off the Crossbar. My name is Teddy Jenner. We'll talk to you in a week's time. Enjoy the games and be excellent to each other. I'm the man one. Woman don't try.